Before we begin our lesson this evening, I just would like to extend to you my deepest appreciation for all the kind things that you said to me about last week's sermon. Uh, I struggled with that sermon and thought all the way up to Saturday night that I might not ought to teach it or preach it. But then I said, no, I I believe that the, the Spirit had that in mind when I came across that in my daily reading. And it just stood out to me, and it just it just came together. It was it was the most easily put together sermon I've ever done, and uh, I appreciate the kindness uh, in your uh, kind words about it. I, I get uh, really nervous about preaching. I know my style is different than than what you're used to. Uh, I am not. Uh, I'm not the same kind of preacher that Travis is. I'm not the same kind of preacher that uh, Bert is. Uh, And so I appreciate your patience with me as uh, we strive to go through this lesson together. Tonight I want to talk about remaking God. In Exodus chapter 20 and verse 4, the scripture says, Thou shalt not make unto, unto thee any graven image or any likeness, of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. Now, to those of us who know the Lord, and have experienced God in our lives, we have to think this is a no-brainer. Of course you wouldn't want to make any graven images that might even be hinted at being God. Love that first song we sang tonight, Our God is an awesome God. He is so high and so far above us that He is beyond our comprehension, and yet He has revealed Himself to us. But even though we would consider it unthinkable to make graven images, the case was not so with Israel. In fact, it almost seems that at the very moment that Moses was receiving that law, Israel was being busy doing exactly what that law condemned. In Exodus 32 and verse 1, And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods, which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we want not what is become of him. Now it's interesting that when they have the golden calf formed for them and then they begin to worship that calf, they say of that calf, Behold the God that delivered us from Egypt. But here they say, That man that delivered us from Egypt. And we might ask how in the world Israel could possibly believe the golden calf delivered them out of Egypt. It's understandable that they might think that Moses did it because Moses was the leader of the nation at that time. But consider all the things that were shown by the mighty hand of God in Egypt as he was delivering his people from their bondage. 
all of those plagues that were brought down upon Egypt. The parting of the Red Sea, the destruction of the armies of Pharaoh, and we could just go on and on of of the things that God had shown them. And yet, they still remade God into the image of a golden calf. Now, when you consider the immorality and the debauchery that was taking place as they worshiped the golden calf, there might be some slight understanding. People have a tendency to give way to the physical pleasures of the flesh. And apparently, that was more appealing to Israel than the life of righteousness that they were being called to. So we can, we can kind of see that, but, but still, a graven image, a golden calf. Truth be known, people haven't changed. Truth be known, over all the thousands of years, people still want to remake God into the image they prefer rather than following the God that is revealed to us in the Scriptures. Now, remaking God is not confined to graven images. We can remake God every day of our lives without ever shaping a false idol to worship. For example, confining God to a personal or a particular situation or circumstance. Confining him to that. This is my God. I don't know about your God. But this is my God. And so expecting preferential treatment because I'm basically a decent person. And God would never do that to me since I'm such a decent person. I've heard people say things like, well, God wants me to be happy. The whole time they are living immoral and ungodly lives and have no intention of changing. They've reshaped God. They've remade God into something they want rather than what the scriptures teach. We've heard people say things like, the God of the Old Testament is different from the God of the New Testament. It's two different gods. No, it's the same God. And if you don't think God showed grace in the Old Testament, you haven't studied your Old Testament. Because the Old Testament is full of grace and love and compassion. We can't separate God from the Testaments. The same God who said in Genesis 1, let there be, is the same God who on the final day will say, let there be no more. And then one of my, I don't want to say favorite, but one that you hear quite a bit, my God would never, and you can fill in the blank there, my God would never do this. My God would never allow that. Why is there so much evil in the world? If there really is a God, why doesn't he just take away evil? Why did God allow Satan to exist? Why, why, why? My God would never do that. You remade God. You changed him from what he is to what you want him to be. 
When we do not like or we do not understand something that is revealed in the scriptures, the temptation is to change our understanding of God rather than accepting by faith what is true. God has revealed himself to us in the scriptures. And if I disagree with something the scriptures teach, who's got the problem? It's not God. It's me. It's my understanding. It's my willingness to change what I want into what God wants for me. And so we have to concern ourselves with remaking God. We remake God into an ignorant God when we act as though he's unable to see and recognize hypocrisy. Hebrews 4 and verse 12, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight. But all things are naked and open unto his eyes, or unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. We serve an omniscient God. Brother Jim talked about this flower on his porch. What a beautiful illustration of God's care for his creation. If God so loves the lilies of the field, who toil not, neither do they spin, but God cares for them, how much more does he care for you? Now, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, but I was impressed with the, <laughs> with the picture Jim shared with us. The point is that there's nothing hidden from the sight of God. Not a dying flower, not a dying sparrow, not an unact, unrighteous act that we might perform or try to hide. Now, somebody once uh, much wiser than I said, you can fool some of the people some of the time and all of the people part of the time or something like that. I can't remember how the quote goes. I mess it up every time I try to say it. But the point is, you can't fool God any of the time. We make God into an ignorant God when we say we love him but we hate others. Now, I don't know how much time you spend uh, keeping up with all the things that are going on in the world, but I tell you, just about everything in the world has become racist. It's people who hate and people who don't hate, and usually the people who claim that they don't hate are calling everybody else haters. Everything's racist, but not among the people of God. Not among the true children of God, there can be no hatred of any kind, any way, any shape, any form of others. 1 John four twenty. If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? 
And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. We say we love God and we don't love our brother. And, of course, you know, Jesus was asked, who's my brother? The answer to that question is everyone. There's none who is not among that list. We can't say we love God and hate anyone unless we believe God just doesn't notice. We make God into an ignorant God when we say we love Jesus, but we do not obey his commands. Jesus said in John 14, verse 15, If you love me, keep my commandments. In John 14, 23, Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. We can't live our life in rebellion and in disobedience to the will of God and claim that we love Jesus. We can't say, give me the man, but don't give me the plan. We can't say, give me the guy who died for me, but don't give me the guy who says I have to live for him. You can't separate the two. And if we love Jesus, we'll do as he says. And we make God into an ignorant God when we say we are spiritual, but we live carnally. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. We cannot live according to the flesh. We cannot live carnally and be pleasing to God at the same time. The two are, as someone said one time before, diametrically opposed to one another. Starting in verse 9 of the same chapter. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him that is raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. He has promised to make our bodies alive again. We're going to face death. We're getting closer to it with each passing day. I made a post on Facebook this morning, and you'd be surprised how many jokes I got about how old I am. How I'm getting closer to that last step. And it's true. The Lord allows me to live any longer. It's not going to be much longer. But the thing is, I don't have to worry about this body. This body's going to be quickened, made alive, changed improved, fixed, healed, created anew. Isn't that good news? I was afraid this might be a downer sermon, but the more I think about it, I'm I'm kind of getting excited about it. So let's not make God into an ignorant God. But we make God into a powerless God when we act like he is no longer 
or he no longer rules the universe. There is a theory, theistic evolution, that says God started everything off and just kind of threw everything out there and sat back and watched. And he's still just sitting back watching, waiting to see what happens. That's a false God. That's a God is as foreign from what the Bible teaches about God that it possibly can be. Amos chapter 4 and verse 13. For lo, he that formeth the mountains and createth the wind and declareth unto man what is his thought that maketh the morning darkness and treadeth upon the high places of the earth. The Lord, the God of hosts, is his name. Amos 5, 8. Seek him that maketh the star, the seven stars and Orion, and turneth the shadow of death into the morning, and maketh the day dark with night, that calleth for the waters of the sea, and poureth them out upon the face of the earth. The Lord is his name. Do you think Amos had the impression that God just threw it all out there? Was waiting to see what happens? You talk about a cruel image of God. There you go. Not my fault. You're the one that messed it up. Fix it yourself. That's not the God of heaven. That's not the God we serve. We make God a powerless God if we do not trust him to care for us as he has promised. If that's the case, then maybe we've remade him. Matthew 6, 33, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. If you'll remember, that's during the same time when Jesus said, Consider the lilies of the field and the birds of the air. And if God's going to take care of them, how much more is he going to take care of you who are created in his image? Do you think he just doesn't care that he's doing nothing out there? If that's the case, you're wasting your time in prayer. You've made God not only a powerless God, but a deaf, hearing impaired, if you will, God, who cannot hear our prayers and does not care about them. But Ephesians 3.20 says, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Our God is an awesome God. But as big and amazing and awesome, overwhelming and beyond comprehension as he is, He loves us enough to want to hear what we have to say. He loves us enough to care about what burdens us. Loves us enough to care about what fills our hearts with worry or fret or fear or whatever the case might be. And so our prayers are not wasted. Because God is not powerless. But then we remake remake God into a blind God when we act as though he is confined to certain locations and cannot see our actions. Hurt 
heard a fellow say some, one time, Ooh, you cussed in the church house. I heard another fellow say, Ooh, you lied to the preacher. As if it's okay to lie to someone else. <laughs> as long as you don't lie to the t- preacher. Or it's okay to cuss somewhere else as long as you don't cuss in the church house. We have to be careful, careful about making buildings the holding place for God. We have to be careful about, com- com- I'll never get this word right, compartmentalizing. You know what I'm talking about? Got my Christian life over here, I pull it out when I go to church on Sunday. I got my work life over here, I pull it out when I go to work on Monday. Uh, I got my recreational life over here, I pull it out when I get off work. <clears throat> I got my family life over here, I pull it out, you know, if my wife's around and she sees what's going on. And, and I don't want her to fuss at me, so I, I keep it over here to the side and I bring it out when I need it. We have to understand the omnipresence of God, which is beyond our understanding because we are finite beings who are confined to one place at one time. But Psalms 139, verse, starting at verse 7, Whether shall I go from thy spirit? Whether shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up to heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. Now, notice that the psalmist is not complaining. He's glad. This is a good thing because you're leading me, because your hand is holding me, he says. I'm glad that you are wherever I am, he says, the psalmist. If I say, surely the darkness shall shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Is it just me or do more crimes get committed at night than in the daytime? More serious crimes. I'm not talking about speeding although that takes place at night and in the daytime. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works. And that my soul, and that my soul knoweth right well. And that my soul knoweth right well. If we can know that about God, how much more can God know about us? Is there a limit to his understanding of us? What we do may be hidden from man, but it is never hidden from God. Luke 18, verse 17, For nothing is secret that shall not be made manifest, neither anything hid that shall be made known and come abroad. When we convince ourselves that we can get away with things no one else knows about, we've made God into a blind God. 
Numbers 32 and verse 23. But if ye will not do so, behold, ye have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. We cannot put blinders on God. We cannot blind his eyes. We cannot hide from his sight. So we don't need to try to make him into a blind God. Now that's true of evil. And it's true of good as well. Matthew 6, 4. That thine alms be uh, that thy alms may be in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. So you can do things secretly. Righteous things, good things, pure things, holy things, you can do them secretly. But God still sees. Just like you can do evil, ungodly, immoral things secretly. God still sees. Matthew 6, 6, But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. And when thou hast shut the do- thy door, pray to the Lord, uh, to thy Father, which is in secret. And thy Father, which seeth in secret, shall reward thee openly. Now, in the context, Jesus is talking about people who are doing things to be seen of men. Okay? They're doing it openly because they love the praise and the honor and glory of men. And Jesus is teaching his disciples that's not the way it's supposed to be. Okay? So I understand the context, but the point is, no matter where you're doing it, God sees it and understands it and knows that it's going on. Matthew 6, 18, that thou appear not unto men who, to fast, but also to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. We cannot make God into a blind God and be serving the God of heaven. And then we make God into a human God when we confine him to our ability to understand and explain. Now God has revealed himself to us and thank the Lord that he has. We know that if we look upon his son, we have seen him. There's a lot of things about God that we just don't have the answers to. And you know what? That's okay. I love how uh, Travis uh, started his sermon a couple weeks ago. He said, I don't have all the answers. None of us do. But we have the answers that have been revealed. We can know that we're doing what God wants us to do and live in such a way that's pleasing in His sight. But we don't want to make God into a human God when we confine Him to our ability to understand. Isaiah 55, verse 8, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Now, I don't know if you've ever considered that a blessing or not, but let me tell you, that's a blessing. Have you ever thought, well, I wouldn't do it that way if it was up to me? It's possible that you've experienced that thought from time to time. Maybe that thought is that it's different from the way God has done it. I wouldn't do it that way. It doesn't matter how we would do it. God's not confined to the human thought process. 
He's too far, too high above us. Romans 11, verse 33, starting. Oh, the depth and the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. I don't understand some of these things, God. Don't understand why you did them the way you did them. I'll search. I'll seek through your word and try to find out any explanation I can find. For who hath known the mind of the Lord? Or who hath been his counselor? Or who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again? For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. So high above us, so great, so magnificent. We don't want to make God into a human God. We don't want to bring him down to our level. 1 Corinthians 8 verse 5. For though there be that are called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, as there be gods many and lords many, but to us... There is but one God, the Father of whom are all things, and we in him and the Lord, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by him. All things belong to the Lord. If we try to make him into a human God or try to understand or comprehend every action and deed and motive behind what he does, we, we make him no different than us. And we just cannot bring God down to that level. Thanks again, I say, that he has revealed himself to us through his son and through the inspired text that we have been so richly blessed with. Let us never be guilty of remaking God by acting as though all of creation is a product of chance. Let's never remake God by living as though we came from nowhere and are going nowhere. Let's not remake God by treating the Bible as though it's of human origin. Be surprised how many people think that it's just a book. Let's never remake God by acting as though God's word is not relevant today. Oh, I've heard that so many times. That book was written 2,000 years ago, and it just has no meaning for us today. You ain't read it. Excuse me. You have not read it. Let's not remake God by acting as though the Bible contradicts itself. How many times have you heard that? Brethren, there is not one single solitary contradiction within the pages of the Bible from Genesis chapter 1 to Revelation 22. Not one. And if you are of the mindset that there is a contradiction, you need to do some studying because your understanding of the Scripture is wrong. God is not the God of confusion. And when we accuse Him of that, we demote Him to the human level. We contradict ourselves constantly, but God never does. Let's not remake God by acting as though science contradicts the Bible. The Bible's not a science book, but it is a book of science. It's a book of knowledge. That's what the word science means, it's knowledge. 
And the Bible never contradicts truth. Never. Never contradicts truth. How to never remake God. How to make sure that we never remake God. Well, here it is from the wise one. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. And lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him. And he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. If we live by this verse, we won't remake God. We'll honor him and glorify him and praise him and laud him and magnify him as he so richly deserves. And all that starts by rendering obedience to the gospel plan of salvation. Believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Confess Him before men. Repent of your sins. Be buried with Him in baptism for the remission of your sins. You take on a new life. A life that is in service to the God of heaven, not one constantly trying to remake Him. Could be that you've allowed sin to come back into your life after you've obeyed the gospel. We have a second rule of pardon, if you will. Be restored to your first love by confessing your faults, repenting of them, and Asking for the prayers of the faithful. Are you remaking God? Or are you living to glorify Him in every aspect of your life? If you need to respond to the invitation, we pray that you will as we stand and sing to encourage you.